the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today, we begin a brand new series, simply entitled Finding Pleasure in God. Next. Where do you find your pleasures, your delights? Are they fleeting? Do they happen from time to time and on various elements and aspects? Or is it a constant? Is it something that is always satisfying? Those are questions we hope to help you answer over the course of our next few programs here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Welcome to our program. Finding Pleasure in God is the title of our series. Please join us for a look at the pleasures that you and I are afforded in Christ. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now. if you will, at Psalms 37, verse 3. Let me take this as a point of leaping. That's what many preachers do. They read a text and they leap and we don't know where they'll land. Uh, Verse 3. Let me read it how most of you read it. And let me, I hope, do it by my voice. Watch this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. We're heavy on the desires, and we're soft on the delight. But He's saying here, delight yourself in the Lord. I want to speak on, is God your duty or your delight? Piper's written a little book, I think it's in our bookstore, uh, The Dangerous Duty of Delight. I'd recommend you read it. I would recommend you read it once a month for five years until you get the concept in you. And he developed something from the Westminster uh, Catechism that said, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But notice that the Scottish Presbyterians use the word end, singular. The chief end, not ends, end of man is to glorify God, and some prefer to translate it then by, by enjoying him forever. God is most glorified when we enjoy him the most. When God becomes the source of your greatest pleasure, Malcolm quoted the verse, there's pleasures at your right hand, God. Listen to verses that says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. You hear Paul say in Philippians 1, 21 through 23, I live so that Christ may be magnified in my body, whether I live or whether I die. Now, magnify. That really means this. I live so that Jesus Christ will appear magnificent in my life. Now, let me tell you something about magnify. 
a microscope makes small things larger so we could see it with the naked eye. But a telescope magnifies large things that distance has made them appear small. It brings the sun, Mars, the planets, uh, the Milky Way galaxy. That Hubble Space Telescope has the ability to search our galaxies never before. They found other galaxies that just keep running on, and it brings what's already magnificently large within view of our eyes, because we're millions of miles away. It's big, but we're so far away it looks small, and that telescope magnifies it and brings it into focus. And that's what happens when Christ gets magnified in our lives. He who is big, but who appears small because of all the competition and all of the distorting idols around us and the distance from us, he says, I am determined that Christ will appear magnificent in my body, whether I live or whether I die. Now, there's two great sins of God's people that he warns them about. He gave one of the greatest warnings in the world about serving God. He gave it to Israel in the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy 28. Would you turn there? It's the fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. And I will be skipping through the Bible here. I'm not developing any one passage I'm trying to develop a whole concept. Is God your duty or your delight? Look, if you will, at Deuteronomy 28, and uh, he's warning them, if they do not obey God and follow him, uh, that he's going to bring severe curses on them. Great warnings. And notice what he says, verse 46. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Israel... I'm taking you into the land. And when you get in that land, you're going to get vineyards and wells you didn't plant. You're going to, as it were, become landowners and millionaires overnight, and you've been nothing but slaves in Egypt or wandering in this wilderness for 40 years. But I'm going to bless you in that land. But if it comes to the time that serving me no longer makes you glad... When it comes that serving me no longer is your greatest joy, then I'm going to put a yoke on your neck, and I'm going to drag you off into exile because you didn't enjoy me when I gave you great prosperity. And that's one of the great dangers I see with people who say they know God. God has become a drudgery. God has become a duty. Going to church is nothing but a duty, not a delight. Giving their money is straight duty, no delight. Everything is, uh, a, I'm acting out of my will. I've made a decision for God. Hey, 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 I, I like before you get beyond decision. Where did that language come up? We've only been using decision in about, ever since Billy Graham. 
You know what saints used to say? I've been so overwhelmed and affected by God. I act this way. Today people say, well, I'll make a decision. You mean you're not moved by it? It doesn't affect you? No effect. I just make a decision. How do you give? I just write a check, send it. I mean, it's not a joy. You don't do it with cheerfulness? No. God says, I love a cheerful giver, not just a giver. I love a giver who gives that's cheerful while they're doing it. It's not just the check. It was the attitude of heart you had when you wrote it. If it was duty, you serve God without joy. You see, this God is no one to get cheerful about when you're giving money to his name. You, do you serve with cheerfulness? No. I just do my duty. I'll come to communion tonight. I'll come to communion tonight because pastor always chooses out. No, you probably shouldn't come unless you come to repent. And this is a good place to repent. Who do we think we are not to repent? We've lost the pleasure in God. I see it in Christian workers. I see it in pastors. I see it in deacons. I see it in elders. I see it in everybody in the church that pretty soon we're wore out serving a God that brings no joy. He is a duty. He's not a delight. Now look at Jeremiah to see the reason we do this. Jeremiah 2, one of the most heart-rending passages in the Bible. It, it turned Jeremiah into the weeping prophet. Jeremiah 2, he says something painfully to the nation. He says in verse 11, he's astounded that he says this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Now listen to that. The heathens never changed their gods. They went out. They didn't quit serving Moloch just because they lost a battle. They didn't quit serving Marduk. Uh, they didn't quit serving Dagon. They kept their gods no matter whether they won or lost. But something's going on in Israel. They are exchanging their God. Now watch what he says. Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory. And what was Israel's glory? Huh? Their God. Their God. Our God opened the Red Sea. Our God fed us in the wilderness. Our God gave us this land. Our God is our... We were just a bunch of slaves. Our, matter of fact, our old daddy Abram was a moon worshiper up there in Ur of Chaldee, and God sovereignly elected him. There was not even an evangelist to win Abraham. God said, leave Ur. I've chosen you. I'm going to build a nation through you. Just like Who does God think he is to choose people? Does he think he's God? Yeah. He chooses whoever he wants. And so, Israel's glory was their God. And what are they doing? We're cashing him in, and we're going to pick up the gods of other nations. And now he likens it to this. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, there's their first sin. They've forsaken this Niagara Fall of great water, fresh water. And believe me, in Palestine, to have a fresh source of water is a remarkable boon. That's a great thing. But notice what they did. 
they exchange this overflowing Niagara fountain, as it were, of God's grace and richness. And they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, we don't know anything about cisterns, but a cistern in that country went this way. They usually would build them on their, if they lived uh, in a house, they would take their roofs and they would indent a place in the rooftop. And when it rained, it would catch the water. But since it was made of mud, it would crack easily. It could drain out. The water would be muddy, be stagnant within two days. Uh, You can get microscopic creatures. It wasn't fresh water supply from a spring. Said, my people have given up the living fountain of all refreshment, and they're drinking out of muddy, broken cisterns. They've given up the true living God for idols that, as he says in Jeremiah, that makes them sacrifice their children to Molech, something that the prophet says about five times, never entered my mind to ask them to do for me. Isn't it amazing that people will do more for an idol than they'll do for the true and living God? How many of you have ever sacrificed a son on the altar and let the priest slit his throat and let him throw it in the fire to Moloch? None of you have ever done that. We can't even imagine it. God said, it never entered my mind to ask you for your firstborn son. But you give him to these heathen idols. What's going on here? God says, I want to be the source of everything that refreshes the deepest thirst in your being. And my people have a problem of leaving me to drink muddy water. It's kind of like the old country western song, T for Texas, T for Tennessee, T for Thelma, that gal that ran out on me. And it says, I'd rather drink muddy water, sleep in a hollow log, than to live with Thelma and be treated like a dirty dog. (laughs) T for Texas. You live with my dad, you learn those songs. Spiritual. Top 10. <laughs> Drinking muddy water. What's wrong with God? Is it too clean for you? Is it too much of it? Listen to Augustine's famous line. And then I read to you from C.S. Lewis. Then I'm going to read another line to you from Augustine. Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You know why some of you are so discontented? You run into every cistern and every well in this world, and you can't get no satisfaction. They're all poison. Because anything you go to, sex, money, sports, your little self-interest, you, you, is an idol, and God will have no rivals, and he'll see to it you stay miserable, and you got it coming. For you've insulted him, that he's not big enough to fill your little bucket full of pleasure in the living God. And you've turned God into a duty instead of a delight. Listen to what Lewis said. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This world is not able to fill the void in you. God has made us for another world, has he not? And did you know in that other world, there'd be no room for sex? There'd be no need for money? There'd be no, we're going to have food just for the pleasure of it. You know why there'd be no sex in heaven? The joys of heaven 
We've made sex the biggest joy in this life, or money. It's sex or money. Because money gives you sex, gives you power, gives you an ego boost, and you love pride. Sex is the biggest thing men can think of. That's why the Muslim can offer you a harem if you go out as a martyr. But God says, the joys of the place I'm preparing are so far above. We walk on gold up there. Up there, you won't even be married to your wife anymore. Oh, don't worry. You'll know her on the streets of heaven, but you don't have to kiss her. (laughs) And you won't even think about sex. Why? The joys that are coming will so surpass every earthly sensual pleasure that there will be nothing to be compared to it, and heaven will be heaven. We'll be brothers and sisters in Christ, and joys that will surpass everything we've ever thought was great here. Even money, we walk on it up there. We don't worship it. You can't imagine. Some of you just decided you don't want to go to heaven. You can't imagine. You can't, because you can't imagine anything that exceeds the greatest pleasures of this life. Listen to what Augustine said. He wrote this in 386. Now, Augustine was a profligate. He was an immoral, uh, heartbreaking son. Monica, his mother, wept over him constantly. He went to Rome, slept with everything he could. If you ever read his confessions that he wrote in 300 AD, uh, he was a drinking, uh, uh, fornicating, rebel son. And he wrote when he came to faith in Christ, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasures. Thomas Chalmers wrote a great sermon years ago, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. When you find something you love more than this, it expels the love. You know, you thought you liked Susie Q, and then you met Jane, who just outshines her. And boy, when you saw her, it was easy to break up with this one. And when you come to God, he's supposed to be the expulsive power of a new affection. I get to know God. I can, I can dive into the Godhead like diving into the Pacific Ocean and explore all the depths for all eternity. He's going to be showing me the riches of his grace. All eternity, I'm going to be learning about him. All of eternity, I'm going to be basking in him. But in the meantime, I'm bored with him. In the meantime, he's a drudgery. In the meantime, I'm so backslidden. God is hard work. God is a duty because you're backslid or you don't know him. And believe me, the church often has to repent because we can fall out of love with him. Christians did at Ephesus, so don't think you haven't. We easily have these fires of the heart go out because we live with this incessant downward pool called sin. That's always taking us away from the flame. That's always taking us away from the fountain. And we try a little over here and we try a little there and we come back thirsty. We come back beaten. We come back feeling ashamed. Says, I want to get back to the fountain. My own cisterns don't quench my thirst. No, they won't. God is determined they won't, especially if you're God's child. Edward Carnell tells the story 
of serving God in our ethics. And he gives this story. Suppose a husband asks his wife if he must kiss her goodnight. Her answer is, you must, but not that kind of must. What she means is this, unless a spontaneous affection for my person motivates you, your overtures are stripped of all moral value. It's this way. Carol and I try to kiss each other goodnight every night, you know. But I got to do it before 9.30 or I'm a coma. I just say, sometimes we just do it by faith. I don't even know what I kiss. Maybe it was the pillow, but good, good night. But if I did this, let me do it by voice. Honey, I must kiss you. Wait, wait, that wasn't good. I must kiss you. Now, what, what would that sound like if you're on the other side? You must. Rather, if I said this, I must kiss you, baby. There's two different kind of musts there, aren't there? I must kiss you, peck. The other one, baby, I must. You know what I must means. I really must. And there's people this way. Well, I guess I must kiss God. Yes, because that's your duty. You're a Christian. But you know why your kids don't want your Christianity? They know God isn't your delight. He's only your duty. He's become too heavy. It's hard. You know, those guys expect you to show up at Nine o'clock to go to church on Sunday. Man, must we do that? No. No. We don't have to do it. We can go into your world, live for pleasure, money, and self, and say God has nothing to do with my existence. We can pretend like God doesn't have a people that find their greatest pleasure in Him. I love what it says. Listen to these verses. Serve the Lord with gladness. Psalms 102. Serve God with exceeding joy. Psalms 43, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalms 37, 4. Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we might be glad all of our days. Psalms 90, 14. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 11. Rejoice always, I say, and again I say rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice forevermore. Keep rejoicing. What do you mean, joy? Joy? I'm a Christian. That ought to depress anybody. Ah. Huh? Let me tell you something about praise that I learned from C.S. Lewis. He has written a fabulous little book on reflections on Psalms. One chapter on praise is magnificent. My, it's beautiful. He said this about praise. He said when he first got saved, and he's reading the Psalms, and he always heard this, praise the Lord, and you ought to praise the Lord, and we ought to this. He said, you know, God must really have low self-esteem to ask for so much praise. Sound like an egomaniac. He really was insulted by it. Why does God want all this praise? Praise him, praise him, praise. If you let me live, I'll praise you. If you let me live, I'll praise He said, wow, 
if a human being went around that, we'd say, they've got self-esteem problems. They, they crave praise. And he was concerned about it. And he writes this little paragraph I want to give you. And he said he finally discovered something about praise. We praise what we enjoy. We praise what we prize. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time together has come to a close here, but as we leave you, we'd like to do so with our address and phone number if you'd like to contact us. And we would love to hear from you. You see, Truth For Today airs here on KFAX in part through financial partnerships with our listeners, such as yourself. If the Lord is prompting you to make either a one-time gift or be a monthly donor, we would love to hear from you. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Please take a moment and contact us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. And as our way of saying thank you for your partnership with us, we'll make you a TFT sustainer, which includes our quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional, into your email box every week. Again, it's all part of our TFT Sustainers Package. Contact us and learn more at 855-833-9864, or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org. And you can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you stop by our website, valleybible.org, please remember other resource materials are available there. Other series is taught by Pastor Phil, some of the books that he's authored. You can also find out about Valley Bible Church, who we are and what we believe, how to get here, times that we worship, and you're more than welcome to join us. Again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org. Stop by and pay us a visit. Then drop us an email and let us know you did pay us a visit. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 